0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Worthy is the Lamb. All right, well, last week, if you were here in Revelation 4, uh, we read an exciting passage about how the Apostle John was caught up into heaven. And of course, we noted last week that we believe that that is a picture of the coming rapture of the church. And so AD 95, right around there, John is incarcerated on the island of Patmos, and all of a sudden, he hears the voice of Jesus, and it's like a voice of a trumpet. And the voice says, come up here. And immediately, John said he was caught up into heaven, and then he began to describe the amazing things that he saw while he was up there. And so the first thing that John saw must have absolutely blown him away because he saw the Father seated on the throne of heaven. And so emanating from the Father were all these, remember this, brilliant, colorful lights, and then encircling the Father was this greenish, emerald-like rainbow. I mean, John must have just been blown away. And the next thing that he saw, he saw 24 elders sitting on lesser thrones around the throne of the Father, and the elders were wearing golden crowns and white garments. We believe that they picture the church. Why? Because we will one day receive the imputed righteousness of Christ because of our faith and God's grace, and we will wear crowns that we will receive at the judgment seat of Christ. John then saw flashes of lightning. He heard peals of thunder. Not only that, he saw seven torches that were burning before the throne of the Father, and we saw last week that those seven torches represent the presence of the Holy Spirit. John then expanded his view, and he saw something like a a sea of glass, and then he saw the four cherubim, majestic, massive, angelic beings that are hovering around the Father's throne. And John said that they ceased not to cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And John then said that whenever the angels cried out, holy, 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 the 24 elders got down off of their lesser throne and they got down on the floor to worship the eternal God. So, John is seeing all of this. Later on, obviously, he writes about it, and it isn't amazing that 2,000 years later, we have the description of John about heaven. And so, the 24 elders falling down, worshiping the Father. We saw last week they cast their crowns before the Father's feet. Where did they get the crowns? They got the crowns at the judgment seat of Christ, which is going to take place after the rapture of the church. Now, as we begin chapter five, you need to know that chapter five is just a continuation of John's description of heaven. But there is a difference. The difference is the focus. You see, in chapter four, the focus was the Father seated on the throne. But now as we go over to chapter five, the focus switches to the Son, the Son of God who in a little while is going to approach his father's throne. And so we start today in chapter five, verse one. John writes, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, that's the father, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And so John sees the father and again, There's these brilliant lights flashing, emanating from the Father. There's this emerald rainbow encircling him, but then John notices something in his right hand, and it's a a scroll. Now, before the invention of books, obviously, we all know this, the ancients used to write on scrolls. And so scrolls were either made of papyrus or they were made of leather, and that papyrus or that leather was written on, and usually, not always, but usually that scroll on the top end and on the bottom end, there was these poles, and so the poles were used, right, to unroll the scroll from the middle, or to, when you're done writing, roll that scroll up back into the middle. John noticed that the scroll in the right hand of the Father had writing on the front and on the back, And so the author, who we believe is a father, the author who wrote in the scroll, had a lot to say. And then John said, I noticed that the scroll had seven seals. So this is actually a closed, sealed up scroll, seven seals. And we know that when you roll up a scroll and you seal it with seven seals, what are you doing? You're fastening the scroll so that nobody can get into it. To prevent unlawful entry, And the way they would do it in ancient times is that they would tie strings around the scroll and then they would um, uh, melt wax onto the knots of those scrolls. So what was this scroll that we see in chapter five? I like what uh, Chuck Swindoll uh, said. He said, quote, John would have easily identified this type of document from the ancient world as a what? Title deed, there you go. Or, or last will and testament, an instrument of ownership that could only be opened by a legal redeemer or a rightful heir. And so what was the scroll in the right hand of the Father? We believe it's the title deed of the earth. The title deed of the earth. It shows ownership. It shows that the earth is the Lord's. So... Let me explain all of this, okay? For some of you who may be new to the Bible, and what I'm doing right now is I'm I'm sharing with you a biblical worldview so you understand why the world's the way it is. And so when God initially created the world, it was absolutely perfect. Not like the world that we see today. And I was in Israel and I was down by the Dead Sea and I looked up and I saw the mountains. There is not a green leaf or a green piece of grass, or green anything, within miles and miles, hundreds of miles, in every direction. It's just barren. Okay, and so um, the, the world, when God first created it, was absolutely breathtaking. If we could somehow go back in time and see the world before the fall, I think our mouths would drop open because of the immense beauty of the flowers, and the trees, and the rivers, and the mountains. But we all know what happened, Adam who by the way was given dominion over the earth, he made a choice. The woman was deceived by the serpent, but Adam wasn't deceived. Adam made a willful choice to disobey the Lord. What did he do? God said, hey, you can eat from any tree in the garden. There's there's one tree you can't eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did Adam do? When Eve said, here you go, honey, and we don't know if it was an apple, could have been a pair. We don't know. But here you go, honey. And the moment that Adam and Eve bit into that forbidden fruit, ladies and gentlemen, everything changed. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that when sin entered into God's perfect world, all creation became subjected to futility. And all creation became enslaved to bondage and corruption so when the fall occurred, what happened was a curse came into the world. And that curse brought sin and death and disease and, and natural, dis, uh, natural disasters. Not only that, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, quote, As by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, listen, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Do you see that? How many of you guys are sons and daughters of Adam? Let me see your hand. Hopefully every hand is raised unless you're an alien from outer space somewhere. (laughs) And so by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. What does that mean? That means that you and I are born in sin. We're born with a sin nature. We come out of the womb liars, (laughs) right? But not only that, not only are we born with a sin nature, we also, when we're able to tell the difference between right and wrong, every single one of us, 100% of the time, all of us, at some point, chose to sin, just like Adam. So don't point your finger at Adam when you get to heaven. Every time I point my finger out here, I got three pointing right back to me, right? So I'm just as guilty as everybody else. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so creation is in bondage to corruption. Mankind is in bondage to sin and death. And guess who reigns over all of this mess? The one who deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. And so you guys remember in Matthew 4 when when Satan took Jesus up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Satan said to Jesus, I will give you all of these kingdoms if you will bow down and worship me. And what did Jesus say? He said, take a hike, buddy, right? That's in the original um, Mike version of it. But in the Greek, it says, get behind me. Satan. Sometimes some of you guys just need to say that in your lives when you're being harassed by the enemy. You guys want to practice? Get behind me, Satan. All right. On the count of three, one, two, three. Get behind me, Satan. That's what Jesus said. He said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, that's intriguing, but here's what's even more intriguing. It's intriguing what Jesus said to Satan, but what's more intriguing is what Jesus did not say to Satan. He did not say, you're a liar. Satan, all the kingdoms of the world don't belong to you. No, Jesus didn't say that because guess what? All the kingdoms of the world belong to Satan in our fallen world. Absolutely. Look at what John said in 1 John five nineteen. We know that we are from God. That's blood-bought, born-again believers in Jesus Christ, which is a minority of the world's population. We know that we are of God. By the way, it's all by God's grace. It's not because we're all holier than thou, right? And so we know that we are from God, and how much of the world? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's why... Some countries can attack their own people with chemical weapons and watch little children die. Why? Because who rules over Syria? Not Assad, Satan does, or one of his demons. And by the way, there's a demonic entity over every single country in the world. Read Daniels chapter nine and 10, you'll see it right there. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a biblical worldview. This is why when you look around, you see the mess we're in, I'm telling you why. It's because Adam blew it, and Adam's sin nature was passed on to you and me, and you and I also have blown it, and Satan rules over the entire mess. That's the bad news. You ready for some good news? The good news is that even though Satan is the ruler of this age, world right now, God alone is sovereign. That's the good news. Therefore, Satan's reign is only temporary. Even though Satan is the ruler of this world right now, hey, this truth is never gonna change, written in Psalm 24, one and two. And that is the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. What you need to know is that even though here's God, here's Satan, God's the creator, Satan is the creation. And by the way, God did not create Satan. God created a perfect angel named Lucifer who chose to go bad. It was not God's fault, okay? And so what you gotta understand is that even though Satan is the ruler of this world right now, The earth is the Lord's. Who did John see sitting on the throne with the title deed of the earth in his right hand? God the Father, because God the Father created this world. And one day, God the Father is gonna give the title deed of the earth to somebody who's going to destroy Satan, reverse the curse, redeem humanity, and restore what Adam lost. That's the good news. That's the good news, and that's what chapter five is all about. And so we see in verse one, John sees the Father with the the title deed of the earth in his right hand. And then verse two. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And how many people in verse three? No one. No one in heaven. Or on the earth, or even under the earth. Did you know there's people under the earth right now? It's called hell. You don't have to go there. And no one in heaven, or on earth, or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Notice John's response in verse four. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So John heard this mighty angel say, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? In other words, the angel is saying, who's worthy to take possession back of the earth? Who's worthy to take possession of the earth back from the usurper, Satan? And after the angel said this, nobody in heaven or on earth or on the earth was able to come forth. All creation was silence. It was like an awkward silence in heaven. A holy, not even a holy, just a hush in heaven. And then, even more awkward, John breaks the silence and he breaks down and starts to weep, loudly. I mean, John's like, no, 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 right? And he's crying, he's crying. It's the same word for weep as when Jesus was coming down the Mount of Olives and he saw Jerusalem, he began to weep, he began to convulse, his shoulders were going up and down because Jerusalem had turned its back on their Messiah. And so John is in heaven and he's crying and some people say, well, I thought there was no tears in heaven. No, that's not until Revelation 21 and 22 when there's a new heaven and a new earth. We're not there yet. And John's in heaven and he's crying. Maybe he's thinking this. Maybe he's thinking, you mean to tell me that creation is gonna continue to be in the bondage of corruption? You mean to tell me that mankind is gonna continue to be in bondage to sin and death? You mean to tell me that Satan is going to continue to be the ruler of the world? No, no. And he's weeping and he's convulsing. Now, we feel for John, but did he need to be so upset? No, absolutely not. In fact, one of the 24 elders around the throne of God looks over his shoulder and he sees John crying. And so he goes to comfort John. And look at now in verse five. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. John's thinking, why, why, why? And the elder's like, I gotta remind you of something here. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has, what's the word, conquered, so that he can open the scroll and break its seven seals. And So the elder walks up to John, John's crying and crying, the elder probably puts his hand on his back and he's like, hey John, don't weep, I need to remind you of something. Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered, so weep no more. Now how do we apply this to our lives? It's your next point. When you're discouraged, remember that Jesus has conquered. Remember Jesus in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your trial. Don't forget about the Lord. This is why I love our communion services. Last Wednesday night we got together and Pastor Jacob just kept telling us for 15 minutes, remember Jesus, remember Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said, as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, you do so in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when you're discouraged, remember, hey, Jesus has conquered. And so before we beat up John for crying in heaven, it's like, man, dude, you're in heaven. Why are you crying? And Jesus, how can you forget about Jesus up in heaven? Before we have that attitude, let's ask ourselves, how often do we freak out and cry when we're hit with a crisis? How often in our lives do we freak out and cry and cry and cry when some difficulty happens to us? And so we got to remind ourselves, hey, Jesus has Conquered, And I know some of you are new to the Bible and you're thinking, well, what in the world did he conquer? Okay, he conquered three things. He conquered the world, he conquered the flesh, and he's conquered the devil. Anything evil that will come against you in your life, Jesus has conquered. That is if you've been washed in the blood of Jesus and he's your savior and Lord. If you haven't, that means you're outside of Christ and you're open game for anything evil. And so he has conquered uh, the, the world, the fallen world system, the, the world system that right now most of the world is lying in darkness, they're, 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 they're in their sins, they're dead in trespasses and sins, they don't care about God. And when they have thoughts of God, here's what they do, Romans chapter one, they re- suppress the truth and unrighteousness. No, I don't want to hear it. How many times have you guys experienced that? I invited a guy just recently in one of the restaurants. We were talking, having a normal conversation, and I invited him to come to Easter, and before I could even get my card out, he's like, hand, no, right? So, so sometimes you, they're receptive, and sometimes they're not, but but what's going on in most of the world today? They're saying no to God, and that's why you have a world system like you have that's all about me, myself, and I, Jesus has conquered that. And one day he's gonna come back and he's gonna overrule that mess. He's conquered the world. He's conquered the flesh. That's our own sin nature we received from Adam. He's conquered the devil. And so Jesus, again, anything evil that will ever come against you. And so, hey, whenever you feel lost, remember what the elder said to, to John. He said, Remember the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion, the majestic, courageous, powerful one who got the victory for you. And so if you're feeling lost, remember the lion. If you're feeling lonely, remember the lion. If you're losing hope, remember the lion. Here's why. Be- because of his virgin birth, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, and his bodily resurrection, and the fact that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's praying for you, he has conquered, he's in control. And so here's what you say, get behind me Satan, my big brother has conquered. How did they overcome? They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Jesus said in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation. Do you hear that? Here's a promise from God, as I've said before, you never see this on anybody's refrigerator, but it says in the world you will have tribulation. Okay, let's just get over it. Let's expect it. It's gonna happen today before our head hits the pillow, some kind of tribulation, trial, difficulty, whatever. It's gonna happen this week. Don't deny it, don't run from it, don't be afraid, don't hide, or whatever. Just face the fact, Jesus said it, this world's not our home, right? We're just passing through. And so in the world, you will have tribulation, but maybe this is on some of your refrigerators. Take heart, I have overcome the world, John 16, Now the elder called Jesus by two names, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. We're gonna look at both names, okay? So here's your next point. As the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus is the rightful king over the earth. This is important to understand and maybe some of you have never read the Old Testament. You gotta read the old to fully understand the new. Okay, and so this whole lion of the tribe of Judah, lion, the one who is majestic and reigns from the tribe of Judah, notice it's not from any other of the, 12 tribes, just the tribe of Judah. That comes all the way back from Genesis 49. You remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What's another name for Jacob? Israel, that's God's people. And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, there's Jacob, and he's thinking that he's gonna die soon, and so he calls his 12 sons in, and he speaks blessing over their lives. He speaks prophetic words over their lives about what's gonna happen in their family tree and he gets to Judah, and Jacob promises that from Judah's family line, there will be Israel's kings, only from Judah, from Israel's kings and the Messiah. It's Genesis forty nine ten. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. This is King James and New King James. Shiloh in the Hebrew, we believe it means the Messiah, the one to whom that scepter belongs, right? And so, hey, Jacob says to Judah, Judah, from your lineage, the kings of Israel will come, and from your lineage, the Messiah is going to come. Well, guess what tribe of Jesus is from? Judah. When you read the genealogies um, in the Gospels, you see that Jesus came from the the tribe of Judah. Therefore, Jesus is absolutely, he has the right and the authority to reign over the earth as the Messiah. He is the lion, the majestic king, and he is from the tribe of Judah. But the elder also called Jesus the root of David. And so that's an interesting title that Jesus is gonna to give to himself when we get to the end of the book in Revelation 22. 22, 16, Jesus says, I am the what? And the what? Now, that's one of my favorite titles for the Lord. And the reason I love that title is because right there in that one sentence, we see both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ. First, we see His humanity. He says, I am a descendant of David. We know from 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant, God promises to David, so it's not just the tribe of Judah, but it's from the family of David that Messiah would come. And Jesus says, I'm a descendant of David. And so that means he's from David's family tree, and that means that Jesus is a man. He's human. But... Notice the first part of the sentence. He says, I am the, what again? The root. Okay, so that means that he's not just a descendant later on of David as a man, but he is the root of David. He's the source of David. Hey, question, what comes first? Roots or tree? The roots. What does that mean? That means that before David ever was, Jesus is the I am, That means that Jesus is David's source. That means that Jesus created David. What does that mean? He's not just a man, he's the God-man, the perfect God-man. And so Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, because of those two titles, he's the only one worthy to take possession of the title deed of the earth, from the Father's right hand. Does this make sense to you guys? No being ever created in the entire universe, ever, 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 except for one, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. He's the only one worthy to take the scroll from the Father's right hand. Now look at verse six. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw I love this too. A lamb standing. You may want to underline lamb standing. I'm emphasizing that because the lamb was not dead on the floor, the lamb was alive. Can't wait for Easter next week. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with how many horns? Seven, seven is the number of perfection, and so he's perfect in power. A horn represents power. So he's got seven horns, and he has seven eyes. What does that mean? Well, John tells us. Which are the seven spirits of God, remember that means the Holy Spirit, who is sent out into all the earth. Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down, the Holy Spirit has been sent out into the whole earth. But the point I wanna focus on right now is that John saw a lamb standing. So your next point, Jesus is our living Passover lamb. He's alive. And so why in the world does this lion from the tribe of Judah, why does this root of David now appear as a lamb standing in the throne room of the Father? A lamb that had been slain, here's why, because Jesus had been slain. Jesus died. Jesus, John said in, John, in um, John chapter one, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so what did Jesus do? He came into the world as the Lamb of God. Now, in the, under the old covenant, if you and I were um, children of Israel under the old covenant, here's what we would have to do. Uh, Because of our sin, we'd have to take a lamb that's male and that's without blemish or spot to the priest, and what would the priest do? He'd grab that little lamb and slit his throat. And then he would chop it up, and he would put it on the altar, and that would be a sacrifice. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You see that? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for your sins or my sins. You may say, I'm not that bad. I'm a good guy, I'm a good girl. And so you, you, you try saying that to a holy God when you get to heaven someday. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Okay, and so all those millions of lambs sacrificed now typify the lamb of God, and so what did Jesus do? The wages of sin is what? Death. Death, did Jesus ever sin, yes or no? No, he's perfect without blemish and so he was sacrificed for us. He died so you would not have to die. He experienced hell on the cross so you would not have to experience hell forever. He took the wrath of God so you and I never have to worry about the wrath of God. He died, but our message does not end with a dead lamb because John looked over and he saw a lamb standing. And so, thank God, the lamb on the third day rose again. And the angel, standing outside the empty tomb, said to the people who came to the tomb, he is not here, for he has risen. And so, I'm thinking about this lamb this week as I'm writing this message, and I started to think about uh, the children of Israel in Egypt and Passover, the very first Passover. You guys remember the story? And so, um, the death angel was coming to Egypt, And he was going to destroy the firstborn. And so what did Moses, God tell Moses to tell the children of Israel to do? Sacrifice a lamb. Put its blood in a basin. Take some hyssop. Everybody look at me please. Take some hyssop, put it in the blood. And then go to the outside doorframe of your house and splash that blood on the sides and top of your doorframe. What does that look like? A cross of blood, 1500 BC, picturing Jesus Christ. And so here's the deal. When you and I turn to Jesus Christ, we realize we're lost, we deserve death, we deserve hell because of our sin, but Jesus was sacrificed for us, and we need his blood. Outside of his blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, and we receive him. Guess what the Holy Spirit does, in essence? He takes the blood of Jesus, and he applies it to the door frame of our heart. And you and I never have to worry about the death angel and the destruction the death angel wants to bring to your life in this life or in the next. Never have to worry about it because of the blood of Christ. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And it is good news. And we should clap for the Lord every once in a while. Look at verse seven. And by the way, I say this all the time, but I really mean it. You know, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. There's probably a hundred, but it says, and he, the lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him, that's the father, who was seated on the throne. And so think about this for a minute. Back in chapter four, if you are here, uh, here last week, John sees the father sitting on the throne and he sees the four massive angelic beings called cherubim. And what are they doing? They're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And then he sees 24 elders. And what are they doing? They're falling on the ground. They're casting their crowns before the Father's uh, feet. And so all of heaven is worshiping the Father. But then you get to chapter five, and what do you see? You see the lamb walk up to His father and take the title deed of the earth from his right hand. What was Jesus not doing? He didn't worship. Did you see that? Everybody else in heaven's worshiping the Father, but the Son just walks right up to his daddy and takes the scroll. Why didn't the Son worship the Father? Because he's co equal with the Father. Because he's God, and God does not worship God. That's our Jesus. He's not created. Ladies and gentlemen, he's the creator. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he takes the title deed from the Father's right hand, thereby fulfilling Psalm chapter 2. And so I'm just gonna put one verse up there. Please read Psalm two this week. It's a messianic psalm written a 1,000 years before Christ with statements like kiss the son, 1,000 years BC in the Jewish Bible? Kiss the son lest he be angry. I don't understand why the Jews can't see it. Many Jews have, they're called messianic Jews. They believe in Jesus. But check this out Psalm 2.8. The Father says to the Son, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. That's the title deed of the earth, right there. Prophesied a thousand years before Christ. And in Revelation 5, verse 7, Jesus fulfills that prophecy and he receives his inheritance. When Satan took him up on that very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, I'll give you all these if you bow down and worship me, Jesus no doubt thought about this moment when he, after dying as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, after rising from the dead, he's thinking about this moment when he will receive all the kingdoms of the world. Why? Because Christ alone, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the living lamb, is someday gonna come back, and what is he gonna do? He's going to reverse the curse, redeem humanity, and he's gonna restore what Adam lost. And we're all gonna say, yeah, awesome. And we're gonna reign with him. And so, look at verses eight through 14, they don't need much comment because this is just all of heaven exploding in praise. So verse eight, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. You see how they're worshiping Jesus? Each holding a harp, so there are instruments of worship in heaven. And I can't wait to hear the electric guitars up there. And golden bowls full of incense. What is that? Well, they are the prayers of the saints. Okay, so God hears your prayers. Keep praying. And they sang a, what kind of song? Not the same songs over and over every single week for year after year after year, decade after decade, no. They sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God. Notice this God's not just into one nation or one color of skin. No. Ransomed the people for God from how many tribes? And language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Some over five cities, some over ten. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Can you imagine? Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, okay, follow this closely in verse 13, to him who sits on the throne, that's the father, and to the lamb, that's the son, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, what? And the elders fell down and worshiped. Did you see in verse 13? that all of heaven is worshiping both the Father and the Son. Jesus is worshiped in heaven. Why? Because ladies and gentlemen, he's more than, a, than just a prophet like Islam says. He's more than just a prophet. He's more than just an exalted angel like the Jehovah Witnesses say who knock on your door on Saturday. Jesus is the eternal God our redeemer. And so, here's what the Lord put on my heart with the couple minutes that we have left today. The Lord put on my heart that there's people in our church who if you ask them, hey, how do you know you're gonna get to heaven when you die? They will say, well, Jesus died for the whole world. And some of those people are still lost in their sins. This is what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me about as I was drifting off to sleep last night. And so I, know what, I knew what I had to do. You see, ladies and gentlemen, um, it's more than just that Jesus died for the whole world. You can believe in that all you want, but the question is, do you believe he died for you personally? And have you personally made the decision to receive him? I've used this illustration before. I love the illustration. But here you have a chair. I can stand here all day long and say, I believe that chair exists. And I believe that chair can hold my weight. But is the chair right now holding my weight? Yes or no? It's not until I decide to walk over to this chair, sit down inside of it, and not only sit on it, but lift my feet up And give that chair my whole trust that that chair supports me. Some of you need to go from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. And the way you do that is that you personally receive Jesus as your only hope, your Savior, and your Lord. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.